Hi, this is Carl Mecklenburg, former Denver Broncos All-Pro linebacker and defensive captain. You're listening to the Pro Sports Podcasters. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Pro Source Podcast. I'm your co-host, Mr. Nemolus Bruce, and I'm joined by Mr. Corbett Durand, a.k.a. Kobe. Kobe, how you doing? Doing very well, buddy. Doing very well. How you doing today? I'm good. I didn't have my apple today, so we've got a doctor in the house. Um, <laughs> if you caught on that, well done to you. If you didn't, don't worry. It is a fantasy football doctor and expert and on all injuries. He's also a team doctor for the Minnesota Twins organization. It is Dr. Edwin Porras. Edwin, how nice, you doing? Nice, nice. You nailed it. That was great. I appreciate it. So for clarity, and this is probably a, 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 a country nationality thing. I am a doctor of physical therapy. However, I am not the team doctor. I wanted to clarify that. I am a physical therapist for the minor leagues, uh, although I do work closely with the team doc. Team doc's a great guy. Really, really cool to work with. But I'm happy to be here with both of you. I'm ready to talk pretty much anything that you guys want because you didn't send me an outline. So, I mean, I, I like it. <laughs> Shoot from the hip. Let's do it. Yeah, that's how we do it around here. We're not, we're, we're not really a, about guidelines and whatever we like to just let the conversation flow so yeah let's take it from the top edwin how did you get to be where you are today because it's it's a pretty cool job and it's a pretty unique job that you're in yeah i actually took a pretty non-traditional path generally speaking physical therapists uh and sports physical therapists they go to pt school they graduate they do a sports residency for about a year they make some connections they work their way through the ringer sometimes they do go you know high school college straight and then to the pros depending on the types of connections you make but i did not do that i did what you what is considered an orthopedic physical therapy uh residency and which was much different just in the sense that i didn't do my emphasis wasn't focused in working with athletes so i worked with athletes and i have worked with athletes uh, and that's my general that was my general uh, niche population but i didn't directly train with athletes if that makes sense seeing athletes as patients so that's the the primary difference and when we finish our residency we get a specialization exam and for sports residents they obviously are they become board certified specialists in sports and orthopedic residents they become board certified in orthopedics that's enough of the boring stuff moral of the story i had my name out on the internet they were searching for physical therapists the the twins were reached out to me for an interview i got very lucky that's really how that's that's where i'm at now that's how i got here <laughs> nice and i take it you're obviously a keen fantasy enthusiast so how did you incorporate that into the edwin Boras experience what do you mean by that it's, it's ask that one more time maybe ask it a different way okay it, it's the accent isn't it <laughs> uh, no, I just have no idea what you're asking. If you want to be 100 like, honest um, with you, so. <laughs> I mean, because you started off with physiotherapy route. How did you become like ah, the, okay. the name so you are in fantasy football? Uh, okay, yeah. okay, okay. So that was also a totally different route. It was me sitting at home, um, big fantasy players. This is my last year in physical therapy school. 
I know that there was some injury analysis out there, but I figured that I could contribute and add, bring some value in that sense. So I just started a Twitter account one day. I told my wife, hey, we'll do this. If you allow me to do this, and by allow, I mean we came to the mutual decision. We really did. I said, because I know it's going to take some time away from us. If, you, if, if we decide to do this for a year where we agree that I just probably won't make any money, and if we get a year from now and we haven't made any money, I'll let it go. And we agreed to that. Lucky enough, fantasypoints.com, which at that point was fantasy free agents, they picked me up. They brought me on board. And I just continued to grow. A Twitter presence is really important in the fantasy space. It's changed. Everybody always complains that it's changed. On fantasy football, Twitter has gone over all these changes over the last few years. And I think that's the norm. Because even when I started, even when I came on the scene just like three years ago, it was different than it is now. I don't know what changed necessarily, but it just seems like there continue to be more and more and more people that dive into the conversation. And it just seems like it's, uh, it's just different. I don't know how to word it. So it's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing, but yeah, fantasy football Twitter is a, a big way that I got my information out there. Nice. And for those of you listening, you can find the doc at FB injury doc. Yeah. So where did you do your residency? So my residency was done in Northern California. And that's where you're originally from. That is funny story. That is not where I'm originally from. Okay. I'm originally from Kansas, the southwest corner of Kansas. Uh, I would say the butthole of the United States. And I went to college at Kansas State. Go Cats. Hey. Graduated. Went to physical therapy school in the Kansas City area. And so basically I grew up my entire life, my even through my 20s, in Kansas. And then we made the move to California for my residency. Does that make you a Chiefs fan? You know what? I it's funny because I I have seen Pat Mahomes play in person, and I can tell you it's cool, but it's a lot cooler to watch on TV because you can see everything if you're not on the nosebleeds. But yes, I am. It's I'm a weird I'm in a weird situation. When you grow up in the middle of Kansas, you had you know you were five hours from the Broncos, eight hours from the Chiefs, mm -hmm. and eight hours north of any. Texas team, you don't really have a lot of options. And so you grow up a free agent, you choose who you want to root for. And I remember choosing the St. Louis Rams at the time they were the St. Louis Rams. Don't ask me why I have no idea. And I don't know how at one point I transitioned to the Seahawks. It was probably when they were winning and I jumped on the bandwagon. So I've been a Seahawks fan and I prefer the chiefs. And so those are the two teams that I really follow closely from like a personal standpoint. Okay. I'm Denver and Seahawks. So we got some connections there. What a weird and time for you, huh? It is a strange, strange time for me. It was a disappointing but exciting time <laughs> to be yeah, a I Denver bet, bet. Broncos and Seattle Seahawks fan. Now, are, are you cool with uh, rooting for the Jayhawks or no? No, not at all. Not <laughs> at all. I, think, I think they're overinflated and they're self-important and they are good at one sport and that's pretty much all they got. So, <laughs> no. Although, although, I say that with a caveat of my wife graduated pharmacy school from Kansas. And so there we have, oh, really? some, form of, we have <laughs> some form of financial ties back to Kansas, which I absolutely hate. <laughs> now, what got you originally interested in fantasy football? I don't know. I don't even remember. I think somebody asked me to be in a league once and I played and I accidentally auto-drafted like three guys and I lost really bad, but I remember thinking, hey, this is kind of fun. And I, st I stayed in the league, continued to play. I'm still in that league to today. Obviously, the, the members have changed and switched around, but the core, I think it's like four or five of us remain in that same home league. 
And I don't, I don't know. I don't know at what point I'd started enjoying it as much as I do now, but, um, I don't have any like big epiphany or story like that. It was just, I was pr pretty sure I was like 20, 21 at the time. Okay. And yeah, I just started playing. All right. I got a very specific fantasy football question for you. Let's hear it. All right. You can take some time on this one if, if necessary. Out of these five running backs, I want you to order them in the order of most likely to least likely get back to 100% this season. And that's J.K. Dobbins, Cam Akers, Travis Etienne, Chris Carson, and James Robinson. Okay. So you say from most likely to least likely to come back and perform at their ceiling. Is that the question? Is that correct? That is the question. Okay. Name the, name the guys again because I totally lost you. J.K. Dobbins. J.K. Dobbins. Got it. Cam Akers. Cam Akers. Travis Etienne. Etienne. Chris Carson. Chris Carson. And James Robinson. James Robinson. I'll tell you right now. Let's start with the least likely. Okay. And this is, I really hate doing this because, I mean, these, are, these guys are obviously humans. They have value. They're people. They have families. It just seems to be from what we know, reports that we've seen, that the least likely to make a return at this point is Chris Carson. We know that he had surgery uh, to his neck to repair some of the joint damage that has happened just from the grounding and pounding of playing in the NFL. Mm -hmm. That is a very sensitive area of the body. Obviously, your neck and your bones in your neck protect your spinal cord and your peripheral nerves, and it just doesn't seem like he is back to 100%, and it doesn't seem like he, he will be at this point, unfortunately. The next guy that I would say, so number four, would be James Robinson. He's an undrafted free agent, and the guy is super talented. But in terms of his pedigree and where he comes from, in addition to how much the Jaguars like him, which I guess they seem to be saying they like him at least a little bit, mm -hmm. but we just don't know. He's kind of the, the outlier there. He had a late season Achilles tear. We know that all the data for backs like James Robinson uh, is really, really bad. And when you come back from an Achilles tear and you're – you know, an undrafted free agent. You don't necessarily have the longest leash from the organization you play for. It makes things tough when you start out of the gate slow, right? So it's it, we don't even really know if James Robinson is ready to go or will be ready to go by camp. Uh, so number three would be your boy Cam Akers, who in a very ironic state of affairs is kind of on the opposite trajectory of James Robinson. Cam Akers is a one, an N of one. He's the first high-profile running back that I know of, that I'm aware of, who has came back or is coming back from an Achilles uh, at six months. It's like yeah. six or seven months, which is honestly, for professional athletes, absolutely unheard of. The average is about nine months. And he came back and looked like a guy who came back six months post-op Achilles repair, mm -hmm. right? So I mentioned all those studies that show running backs coming back from an Achilles tear equals bad. And that stuff, that doesn't change. It's also worth mentioning the average age of those running backs in those studies is somewhere between 28 and 29. So they were probably on their way out of the league or being fantasy relevant at that point anyway. That's the selection bias of the population. It just happens to be the case. The other thing that you consider when it comes to Cam Akers is, he, again, he's on the opposite trajectory as James Robinson. He's got long leash from the front office. He's got high draft capital. We know he's a pretty good athlete. He was a very good running back before the Achilles tear. All of these things, and we know that he's going to get a high workload. All these things matter and for running backs to be able to come back and perform at a super high level. Now, will he do that? That remains to be seen. The one thing that I like to say about Cam Akers is there's definitely no evidence to show or that he won't come back. And there's definitely no evidence to show that he's just toast. 
Okay. Right? They're that he'll be toast because of the specific unique situation he's in. The flip side is there's also no evidence to show that he will, despite all of the things and the factors working in his favor, does not mean that he'll come back and perform and be a slam dunk, right? So he's we're kind of in this no man's land where all the data is bad, but Cam Akers is also in his unique situ- is in his unique situation. When it comes to that offense in particular, those running backs don't tend to get a ton of targets based on what I've read and what I've heard from other fantasy analysts that dig dive deeper into the football stuff. So that's obviously going to impact him if he's if his primary method of get, getting fantasy points is on the ground. We don't know what that's going to look like post-op Achilles, and if he doesn't get that passing down work to bolster his numbers, it's going to be tough for him to do so. So that's that on Cam Akers. The next guy, man, these are these are tough. So I got Akers, got Carson. Uh, got James Robinson, J.K. Dobbins. Who's the other one? Travis Etienne. Travis Etienne. Okay, no. So then we'll go and we'll move on to J.K. Dobbins, who in all reality, he started on the pup, but it's not the end of the world. It doesn't mean that he's behind per se. There are some reports that he had some posterior lateral corner damage of the knee, which essentially just means that part of the capsule that holds it all together, the ligament itself, uh, was also damaged. And that typically tends to add on a little bit more time to the rehab. Uh, he is 10 months and two weeks out from surgery. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, that's a long time for an ACL. These guys come back at an average of about nine to 10 months. For context, Saquon Barkley was back playing in an NFL game week one at 10 months and two weeks. And, you know, at this point, J.K. Dobbins isn't even being able to run on air in shorts and a helmet. So that tells you a little bit about how uh, different the surgeries and the, and the, the recovery is for any two athletes, any two injuries. That's not to say that he can't come back by the middle of the season and be in terms of when I say come back, I mean, perform by the mm-hmm. middle of the season. And it doesn't mean that he can't be back even by week one, because we still have another, what, two months before week one. I mean, that's going to be 14 months at that point. It's realistic because he has resources at his disposal to be back by then, but it's not necessarily a slam dunk. The other thing is, because it's taken so long for him to rehab and it's taken his body so long to bounce back, from a performance standpoint, we do worry about how he's going to look from a power perspective, from a cutting perspective, from just a generally speaking running back perspective. And on top of that, we know that Lamar Jackson runs it every now and then with Gus Edwards coming back. It's going to be a tough situation for J.K. Dobbins, but I do think that excuse me, by the middle of the season, he'll be, he'll be fine. I'll say he's fine. The last guy. Travis Etienne, the apple of a lot of fantasy players' minds uh, or eyes. I don't even know the the phrase there. I don't know a lot of colloquialisms. So Travis Etienne, very similar situation from an injury perspective as Akers in terms of the injury itself has really bad data to support it. There are two primary studies I'm thinking of right now that looked at NFL players and offensive production. Those two studies, one of them showed significant difference. The other showed no significant difference, but the result was the same. One study showed it was an X amount of drop in offensive production year year one post-op list rank. The other also showed a negative uh, drop in production after year one post-op list rank. So what you need to know is this is an older study. There, you know, it has been 10, 15 years before all, you know since this data was collected and applied, and it also doesn't necessarily reflect an athlete like Travis Etienne, who we assume, we presume, will get some passing down work. We presume we'll see a lot of, you know, passing down, just passing passing down snaps in general. So that's going to help bolster him in PPR and half PPR leagues. I wouldn't necessarily count on, you know, a rushing prop for him. I wouldn't necessarily bet on that this year uh, because we know there is that 20% offensive production drop year one. But if there's any silver lining 
for Travis Etienne, it's that he's at least starting off the year with minimal competition, and James Robinson's coming back from the Achilles tear himself. So to summarize, God, you asked me a really long question. Uh, to summarize, <laughs> unfortunately, I think Chris Carson, I don't think Chris Carson will be back this year. Uh, so he's number five on the list. Number four is James Robinson. He's got an uphill battle. Going to be really tough for him to come back at this point and be productive. But again, he could prove us wrong. Then you look at Cam Akers, who's going to need passing down work, hopefully, to really bolster anything that he's going to do on the ground. And J.K. Dobbins, who by midseason might be back to form. And lastly, you have Travis Etienne, who I think is a solid third, fourth round pick. So, man. That's like, I just answered five questions in one, essentially. Well, that was awesome, Edwin, man. That was awesome. I'm very pleased we've had you on. This is great, buddy. I'm sure everyone's going to enjoy getting all the information from you. Holy shit. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying, love that. I'm trying. <laughs> what else you got? It's, it's, well, I'm, I'm going to give you props for the way you pronounced um, Travis Etienne's surname, because I know there's going to be hundreds of people that are going to get it wrong this season, but we're in Canada. We see we see what you're doing out there, Edwin. So there's a <laughs> bowl of- How do you say of- it? How, are you, how do you say it? No, no, how do you say this right? Etienne. As opposed to ETN. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so not, 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 the, not the same thing. Not the same thing. So there's a bowl of poutine waiting for you in Canada when you come up here in appreciation. I've heard poutine is good. I've never had it. Fantastic. Oh, so have you been to Canada, though? Um, I haven't been to Canada either, unfortunately, no. Okay. I've, I've, the closest I've been to Canada is Washington. Ah, all right. Well, you got to get up there. All right. That's on the list of things to do for you, Doc. But um, yeah, let's do it. Mate, I have to ask because <laughs> it's in your Twitter bio and it's in a lot of your tweets, not directly and indirectly. Take us through this narrative of players being injury prone and why is it stupid? So here's the thing. The thing about the injury prone thing is a lot of non-medically trained people will blanket cast that that phrase injury prone onto any player that gets hurt george brittle when i say injury that's what's that george brittle i hadn't heard that one that's actually a new one you get brownie points for that one so every player is injured but every physical therapist sports doc athletic trainer knows the most prevalent or the the biggest predictor of future injury is past injury. So that's obviously not a fact you can hide from. If you're hurt in one aspect, you know, in any aspect, you're more likely to get hurt again in another aspect. And we obviously call that recurrence. When I see on Twitter, though, people blanketly calling any old person injury prone because they had a random assortment of injuries, it's typically way off base. So in reality, I don't know if you know this, folks, what I'm going to ask you instead, I'm going to frame it as a question. What percent of NFL games do you think do you think are injury free? What percent? Oh wow. Uh it's got to be percentage. Low, uh, can I say like 0.5 or something? A 1? I am going to go it higher than that. 0.3. <laughs> I was I was going I was going to say I know, I was going to say 3%. I, I figure. 2.3%. Once you adjust for the dudes who, you know, their finger dislocates, they put it back themselves. Their shoulder dislocates, they put it back themselves. The guy on, you know, on the offensive line who sees stars and doesn't tell the medical staff. Once you adjust for those, this is probably zero percent. So that tells you, that tells you, that being healthy is the anomaly, 
right? The average is every game has injuries. Every end. This is a study done over a period of four years, right? It's this. Is, these are called athlete exposures. Um, so it really helps to, from a population level, tell us how dangerous is this game. And well, I mean, the game has injuries. It virtually has a zero percent uh, injury free rate. So the, the anomaly is to be healthy. That's the starting point. That's why I'm saying that. So then you zoom in a little bit more and you look at players' injuries in their past, which is why every year since 2020, I've been putting out an injury tiers article published at fantasypoints.com, where I try to sort through injuries that are relevant, that are not relevant, and then I categorize these players into green, yellow, and red light tiers based on what I think their performance is going to look like. And it's just going to be different, man. Every player and every individual is different. I get proven wrong every single year. I am very re you know, reticent to ever say X player is injury prone because the rate of injuries in the NFL is so high. Just when I decided this is gonna be the one guy I'm gonna plant my flag that I think that he's going to be injured again and he's gonna miss a significant amount of time and don't invest in it, guess who it was? James Conner. What did James Conner do last year? He played 15 of 17 games, right? The year before that, or the, the, I'm sorry, the time before that, even going way back to college, that dude had had a major connective tissue injury five out of six years. He had missed at least two NFL games every season. And he averaged, I think like 12 or 13 games. He had an MCL rupture in college that led to surgery that happens less than 5% of times. I said, if there's any person on this planet who I think maybe just can't handle an NFL workload, then it's probably going to be James Conner. And then, like I said, he goes off, only misses two games. So you also have to look at the positional demands. When you look at running backs, oftentimes people will frame the narrative of running backs are injured more often. To a certain degree, that is the case. I would also push back, though, because once you dive a little deeper into the data, you realize that when it comes to missing zero games, right, wide receivers versus running backs, yes, wide receivers, 50% of wide receivers miss zero games. These are top 12 fantasy football wide receivers. When it comes to running backs, it's only 33% of players miss zero games, right? But after that, across the board, between one and I want to say three weeks, I'm looking at my own data right now, between one and three weeks, the amount of the percentage of players who miss one to three weeks, wide receivers and running backs, almost identical. It doesn't change until you get to the four plus game mark. Once you get the four plus game mark, then the running back numbers do tend to spike. So it's not so much only that running backs are injured more frequently. It's the, it's the positional scarcity. In addition to the fact that when they do get injured, running backs just tend to miss more time at a bulk. But the last thing I'll say, and then I'll let you get a word in edgewise, the mean missed games between top 12 wide receivers and top 12 running backs, uh, the wide receivers is 1.4, the running backs is 2.0, their standard deviations are 2.6 and 2.8 respectively. The mode, so the, if we go back to you know fifth grade math or fifth grade math lessons, <laughs> the mode or the number that occurs most frequently in the data set for wide receivers and running backs in terms of missed games is zero. So they, the most frequently amount of missed games for running backs and wide receivers is zero. Where you see the difference is the median, right? Another fifth grade math, math lesson. The median is the point of a data set. The middle point, so 50% happens more and 50% happens less than this data value. The median for a running back is one game while the median for a wide receiver is zero games. So as you can see, the disparities between running back and wide receiver aren't as great as I think the general public likes to believe. Henceforth, injury prone is a lie. <laughs> okay. Well, I hear that. So I guess the move is if we want to be smarter fantasy players and even smarter analysts, the move is to not look at 
you know, how quote unquote injury prone someone is, but how they how their performance or projected performance is gonna be coming out of the injury. Is that right? Would you agree with that? So yeah, yes, there's so many different factors that go into how you determine that, right? So you have how are they going to look after the injury? What is their recurrence rate? And what is the relative athleticism and or athletic reserve of this individual? What's their overall potential coming off the injury? So those are the things that I tried to look at in that tiers article. I try to give it a little bit more context and nuance. But yeah, I mean, even within even within determining a an individual's potential or, you know, potential risk, it's gonna it's gonna vary so much on so many different things that you need to look at. Like honestly, I think that the one way that I would describe what I mean when I say that is like, it's a lot more complicated than people make it. Some people mm. will luck into being right and they get confirmation bias, right? Like if you avoid a running back in general, let's just say you avoid a running back because they burned you once, they missed three games and you never forgive them again. If you avoid a running back because they missed three games and then the following year, they miss another two games and you say, ah, see, told you, that's why I avoided them this year. Like that is confirmation bias at its mm. finest because almost every player is going to get injured to some extent, to some degree in an NFL season. So th that's really like my stance. My stance isn't so much like, does this relativity of injury risk really exist or not? It's just more so that people are applying it totally out of left field and totally incorrectly. This episode is brought to you by Sports Interaction, Canada's most trusted sports book with Betting options available from every sport you can imagine. From futures and money line betting to real-time live betting during games, Sports Interaction offers its customers the most competitive odds in Canada. So head on over to our website and sign up today as Sports Interaction also has a nice deposit bonus if you click on the link. It's available in every province from coast to coast. And now back to the show. Yeah, I do feel like that confirmation bias is a thing. I feel like maybe because it's the limitation of characters or whatever but um people will just jump to things <laughs> and it's mm, it is interesting to see that i think people jump to things primarily because they want they seek an explanation their mind i think the human mind is always seeking some form of rationalization and the other thing about the human mind that we know based on psychological studies is that humans would rather risk nothing and maintain where they are than risk something and stand to benefit. Does that make sense? So they're actually large-scale studies. Yeah, exactly. So it's literally like the definition of gambling to a certain degree. <laughs> like humans, humans would rather say, okay, let's say you have, let's say you have four quarters. Humans would rather you say to them, okay, you have these four quarters, and if you lose one of the quarters. That's okay because you're still going to have three quarters, um, but let's put the four quarters down on the table. Uh, and then in a week or so, you can recover the last quarter, right? As opposed to, hey, I need you to put all four quarters at the table. There's no chance, there, there's, no, um, there's no guaranteeing that when you put all four quarters on the table that you're going to get them all back ever. But there's also a chance that if you wait an X amount of time, you'll have eight quarters, like in a week. There's that chance, right? And the the basically what these studies find is that humans basically say, I'm going to take the option where I might only lose one quarter and I can still recoup it at the end. So I think that honestly applies to the psychology of fantasy football, because if you faded a guy, you're reaching and grasping for straws for a confirmation to say, well, no, I didn't miss out on anything. 
I mm. didn't miss out on a positive benefit because I uh, because look look what happened here. They missed these games, and so I didn't I didn't miss out on anything. Therefore, I made the right decision. That's my opinion. That's my take. That's totally conjecture and theory, but that's what that's where I'm coming from. Yeah, I do think some fantasy players need to understand the concept of sunk cost and just move on. Decisions been made. Just keep moving. That's right. Absolutely. Do you put together your own big board, Edwin, or no? Not at all. Well, what do you mean? Injury-wise? Well, I'm just wondering if you look at, say, a top 200 and completely adjust it for for health, ah, for injuries. completely adjust it. So that's what my tiers essentially does. My tiers is I copy-paste the top, you know, I already did running backs. I have them pulled up right now. I did the top 34 running backs ranked at fantasypoints.com, uh, PPR formats. And I calculated their injury risk, which is all in the article, like how I do that. I try to use as much, uh, you know, statistical data as possible without being too subjective. Okay. I apply a little bit of common sense reasoning as a physical therapist where I think is reasonable to apply. And then I, I have them and I, and I post them, right? And those are my tiers. So you have the green tier, yellow tier, and the red tier. You technically could call them rankings, although they're not necessarily... You know, just because uh, one player has, has a, you know, a score of 3.1, another player has a score of 3.2, it's not a linear relationship where, you know, they have X amount more. It's just, it's just a very random, I don't want to say random, it's not random. It's a very static number just indicating a general score of risk and health relative to other players at their position. So, you know, right now, the top, the only four guys in the green light tier, because again, everyone's injured. Jonathan Taylor, uh, Javante Williams, AJ Dillon, and Brees Hall. And so when I talk about these tiers, the thing is, because injuries do happen, there's there are a lot of things that aren't predictable. Like a high ankle sprain is not predictable. Yeah. A shoulder and AC separation is not predictable. Uh, some other things are predictable. Uh, hamstring recurrence, that could be semi-predictable. A shoulder dislocation, something that Alvin Cook's dealing with, is 100%, almost 100% predictable. Not when and not how in one week. But it is predictable. The data shows there's more than a 50% chance that uh, dudes will re-dislocate their shoulder after a first instability instability event. So I take all those things into account. And in addition to viewing how many games they played or didn't play in college, apply that sense and move forward from that that direction. Okay. And all this information on fantasy points, is it's open to everyone. Nothing's behind a paywall. Um, fantasy points is a subscription service. However depending on when you get in, my tiers are tend to be free. They do tend to be free. Um, I do have a promo code that I use typically, but Fantasy Points is a subscription-based website. Okay, okay. Now, something I want to kind of bring up with you when it relates to sort of modern medicine and sports medicine. As far as sports injuries go on the football side of things, there was a time where an ACL meant anyone in a skill position was basically done. And then it seemed to change around the time that Adrian Peterson came back from it. Was that a result of Adrian Peterson himself, or was there a major change at that time? Do you know? Um, this is another, I think, misconception of the general public, which it's not to anybody's fault, per se. If you're not in this field, it's hard to know. We see the high-profile cases, right? Everybody that watches NFL football, they see ACLs, and they're, those are considered high-profile cases. However, it's still... Uh, 
interesting to me that there's still between 30 and 50% of NFL players who don't come back from an ACL. And so I always think it's interesting how the general public's view is, well, yeah, ACLs used to be, you know, almost career enders and now everybody comes back from them. No problem. That's not necessarily the case. There's still like a big chunk of NFL athletes who don't make it back after an ACL tear. It could be for a myriad of different reasons, but we 100% have not solved the problem of ACLs. Have we improved our care and our knowledge and maybe of the best drafts and of the best rehab protocols and return to play stuff? Have we established that? I mean, yeah, to a certain degree, I think we're doing a lot better than we were in the past. But when it comes to individual rehabs, like, yeah, Adrian Peterson was just a freak of nature. Last year, I was comparing uh, Saquon Barkley's ACL repair to Adrian Peterson's because that was the closest comp, right? If if there was another Cam Akers type player who suffered an Achilles tear in the past, I would try to compare Cam Akers to that player, but there's just no, there just haven't been. The closest thing that we've seen to Adrian Peterson since Adrian Peterson's ACL was Saquon Barkley last year. And we know that he was going to smash anyway until he stepped on a defender's ankle. So when it comes to ACL tears, have, do we have it all figured out? No. Have we improved? 100%. Okay. Okay. So that, that makes total sense then. Now, one other thing I want to ask about, and this one, this one blew me away as a layperson looking from the outside, but how impressive was it for Alex Smith to come back? Yeah, man, that's the thing, too, is like I get so caught up in having to analyze these things for my audience that sometimes I do feel like as a physical therapist, I can't just sit back and appreciate how pretty cool it was. I thought Alex Smith's return was pretty incredible, right? We know that he didn't play well at all. Like, in fact, he was really bad. But just the fact that he was out there again after that injury, like that's that's cool in and of itself. Uh, Cam Akers, man, like I really admire the Rams medical staff. Uh, I've spoken to one of their physical therapists before and I follow a lot of what they do and they're just a super impressive group, cutting edge group. And so the fact that Cam Akers came back at six months status post Achilles, that was nuts to me as a physical therapist. I'm like fanboying that. Right. So that's something that I think is, is super badass. So yeah, man, like it is incredible when you see these athletes return from these injuries. But again, I think from a fantasy analyst perspective, like a football injury analyst perspective, returning almost never correlates to performing, if that makes sense. Okay. Well, that makes total sense. Yeah. Ed- Edwin, i got to ask, do you play IDP fantasy at all or do you, are you more into the offensive <sighs> side of the ball? I'm not a I'm not a sick puppy like you all. I'm, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't keep up with it. I couldn't keep hey, up with it. let me let me say I'm this. A sick, I'm 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 a I'm a sicko myself, but not not IDP level. Okay, well, I'll try to sell it to you like this. If you understand IDP and the defensive side of the ball, it'll make you a better fantasy player when it comes to the offensive side of the ball. Trust in terms of like opponents versus certain positions and that type of thing. You got to give it a try. Just give give it. Maybe try DFS or something like that. Just give it a season and see how you go. I th- you, is there is there DF, IDP DFS? I it's not it's not broad, but I've seen you can do like um, you can do props. So yeah, IDP props. That's fair. That's sacks sacks. I mean, I, I I'll I'll try to figure it out. I mean, I'll I'll try to I'll throw down a little bit. We'll see. All right. Well, well, come back to us if you need have any questions. In the meantime, I have more questions for you. Coming from Northern California, did you ever have an interest in the 49ers? It's interesting when I'm there. When I'm there, it is interesting to hear people be 49ers fans. There are more 49ers fans in Northern California 
than, you know, I think honestly, any other sport, maybe the giants, like the, there are a lot of giants fans out there, but it seems to be like anybody Sacramento and South is, is big 49ers fans. So I, I mean, their games are always on, right? Like it's obviously the local team. Yeah. And so their games will always be on. And that's, I mean, that made watching Jimmy Garoppolo sometimes when you want to throw up, but yeah, I definitely, <laughs> definitely watch the games. I'm a 49ers fan. So I'm definitely oh, there I'm with the throwing up. I'm definitely there with the throwing up. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm taking a drink of water. <laughs> Your coach talk mm. about self-inflated, right? Listen, I know the guy's good. Don't get me wrong. I understand Kyle Shanahan's smart. But, like, I remember last year, one, in, one thing in particular that really, like, was I bothered me. Like, I didn't understand what he, what he was doing. He came up, and they asked him some questions about Trey Lance. And it's almost like he directed his frustration about the questions being asked at Trey Lance. He, like, threw Trey Lance under the bus. He said mm. something along the lines of somebody asked if they were going to put Trey Lance in, and, and Shanahan said something like, yeah, I mean, we see him every day in practice, and there's a reason that he's a backup right now. And it was just like a totally unwarranted. I don't remember the interview it was. I wish I could remember. It was just a totally unwarranted. Shot. I remember that you actually. Get, it's like, dude, what kind of coach, what kind of leader throws their rookie quarterback under the bus when <laughs> the dude's literally not like the dude could do interviews and like raise, you know, raise havoc and he could do all these things like you know talk about how he's a first round pick and how he should have been the start like and he's just been quiet and you're just throwing him under the bus like that really rubbed me the wrong way. What do you? What mm. excuse do you have for your coach there? I, I don't. I, I don't. I mean, I know. I know he pound. I, apparently, he pounded the table for certain draft picks that haven't panned out so far. So, I got nothing for you. <laughs> Kyle, Kyle does what Kyle does, and I do feel like the seat is getting a touch warmer for him. Uh, I know. Really? The office, you think so? The the NFC West is a bit weaker now. Seattle is doing whatever they're doing. Arizona. I don't know. I feel like Cliff Kingsbury could be on the way out if they don't get it right this year. I, I feel like Shanahan, this is an opportunity for him. I know they were a drop pass away from going to the Super Bowl last season. Actually, I've got a question for you. Sorry, I'm, I am going to get That's to the here. end of this. But San Francisco had some significant injuries in down the stretch. What's your take on the team for 2022 in terms of uh, projections and that kind of thing? So from an, like an offensive pro projections standpoint i can't speak a lot to it i don't do a lot of offensive projections you know just raw offensive projections myself i can tell you that from a running back perspective they drafted obviously elijah mitchell and trey sermon two dudes who they don't necessarily have the best health track record and they didn't come in as rookies so i find it really interesting that they drafted both of those guys if you look at their injuries from from the past they're not necessarily playing in every game in college and yet they are coming in to the league, you know, together. And you also had Jamichael Hasty. So obviously Jamichael Hasty injured his ankle too. This is just a really ragtag group of running backs who don't have the best history from an injury perspective. And I think that the narrative is starting to build. This is I'm really hoping to to nip this bud because it's highly highly unlikely to be anything of relevance. They started to so some people on Twitter started associating. Kyle Shanahan's run, you know, zone blocking mm. scheme as why their running backs are injured more often. When if you just look at their running backs in their history, that we know that their history is not the best from a health perspective. So mm -hmm. I, that's really the only only thing I can tell you from that standpoint, from a health standpoint. Uh, I know that Debo Samuel used to be a guy everybody held up as injury prone, and lo and behold, now he's out doing his thing. He's balling. I don't know what that's going to look like. I do 
think that from a fantasy perspective, Trey Lance can be especially especially good just because we know that being a good NFL quarterback doesn't necessarily matter when you're in fantasy football. Uh, Trey Lance can be a super, super upside pick for even just like single quarterback leagues because uh, I do think he's going to obviously run a lot. Uh, the dude that I worry about most is George Kittle because, I mean, mm. after Devo gets his jet sweeps and after they run to, you know, hand the ball off to Elijah Mitchell, whoever it's going to be, uh, and after they throw, you know, the ball to maybe Brandon Ayuk downfield, I don't know how much is going to be left for George Kittle. Like he seems to be like a boom or bust type tight end, which obviously, obviously his boom is better than like literally 98% of other tight ends. So that's sort of my personal view, not totally database and data driven, but just based on what I hear from other analysts. Mm-hmm. No, I appreciate that. Now going back to your question about Shani. Yeah, I'm going to call it Shani. I don't care. Um, I feel like... <laughs> In that infamous NFC Championship game, in the in the third, fourth quarter, they're losing the grip on the game. That's when you throw in Trey Lance for me. You, you've given, you've put in so much draft capital to get this guy. Why not give it a go? Because you know where you're at with Jimmy Garoppolo, and it's clear that you want to move on from him anyway. So that for me was a missed opportunity. That's the micro, but the macro is they brought in Lynch as GM and Shanahan as a five-year project. If my math is correct, this is year five. So if they have another down season, the York or the DiBartolo family needs to ask, are they going to get any further with Shanahan or do you need a new voice in the room as the, the trendy term is? I do get where you're coming from. And I understand being on the cusp and not actually, you know, getting it done. But I mean, the 49ers almost beat the Chiefs in the Super Bowl, right? And I know almost doesn't count for anything. But, I mean, they've gotten to a Super Bowl before. They overachieved, I think, last year. I don't know what their win total was set. The line for their win total was set at prior, you know, in the preseason. But overall, I mean, they carried a the corpse of Jimmy Garoppolo, who also <laughs> had offseason shoulder surgery, into the playoffs and competed at a high level. I understand, like, from a fan's perspective, it's Super Bowl or bust. As an outside third party, man, I can tell you that a lot of teams would die (laughs) to have the last few seasons that the 49ers have had, especially as close as they came to beating the Chiefs in that Super Bowl in 2020 or 2019, whatever it was. So, I mean, yeah, again, it totally depends on your perspective, right? It's not like the 40. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to be honest with you, man. I feel like we've known each other 45 minutes, so I feel like Mm. I can say this to you. It's not like the 49ers or the Patriots. I mean, you should be happy with what you're getting. They were good a few years in the 80s or whatever it was in the 90s. But, like, I mean, they're doing pretty well. I'd say they're doing well. Yeah, okay. I'll, I'll take that. All right, Edwin, you sold me. All right. It's not It's not the Jim Tom Sula <laughs> years. It's not the Mike Singletary right. years. Even though he built the defense, I get it. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mike, what's the what's the average day for you look like? The average day, man, that's, oh, the average day is controlled chaos. Uh, the average day is getting up, getting to work around 640, somewhere between 630 and 7, 715 most days. We have our meetings, then we get started on rehab. We have rehab a part of the morning, and then we're out uh, either following players with some of their baseball stuff that they have. Uh, or, you know, sometimes we do travel to games that are rehab games, rehab assignments for the players just so that we can keep an eye on them. Uh, Then you have to do your notes just like any other physical therapist job, which is the absolute worst. But things can change on a dime. We got to take dudes to appointments. We got to help them with, you know, their insurance stuff sometimes. I mean, it it can be 
sometimes even especially in spring training i mean they're like 12 14 hour days at times uh trying to get as much stuff done as we possibly can we got to do assessments on new guys that are coming in so i mean it's a lot of hustle and bustle and honestly i love it i couldn't I couldn't see myself going back to like the regular clinic nine to five with soft rock playing in the background. Like it always is in the physical therapy clinic. Stuff drives me nuts, man. It's always, it's always journey. It's always yeah. like ACDC. It's always best of, you know, yeah. REO Speedwagon. It, dude, it's literally the worst. And like the physical therapists are walking around with a towel and everybody's getting ultrasound and ineffective treatments. And it's uh, like walking into the average physical, physical therapy clinic sometimes like make, drives me insane. So I could not go back to that. <laughs> All right. So you you made mention of how you felt the the team for the LA Rams have done a phenomenal job there and you gave them some high praise. Is there a significant difference between, say, one organization's medical facilities and another's? Uh, I mean, that's a good question. It's going to vary and depend on the organization. I can't say that I've been to a ton of, you know, different organizations and, and know a ton of other physical therapists at other places. Uh, but I can tell you that depending on how much the, you know, ownership group management, regardless of the sport, is invested in their medical side of things or performance side is going to vary. It's it's going to lead to variance in the types of facilities and you know rehab and uh, rehab equipment and stuff like that. Different tracking and sports science stuff. So I mean I can't really tell you one way or the other. Uh, I can tell you that we've come a long way as a profession in general. I think that a lot of old school guys and girls will tell you like yeah man it used to be me and a treatment table in this mm -hmm. small little room and I'd have to see twenty guys in a day. I mean those days for I would, I would say, I'd like to think, I'm pretty sure, certain saying this, I would say that's probably not the case anywhere at this point. That's not just a treatment table and, you know, one person, but it's, it totally depends on the organization. Okay. No, fair enough answer. And being in sports medicine, working for, a, you know, an actual professional sports franchise, obviously you get the top of the like tip technology available to you, correct? Uh, it depends. Depends what you're going for. I think a lot of times people confuse cutting edge technology with the basics. Um, a lot of times you don't need a lot of technology to get done what you need to get done. Um, if you track specific metrics and if you have, you know, bare minimum equipment, like you can get a lot done. So there are a lot of cool things you can use like GPS technology and some other, you know, wearables and stuff like that, that you can use on your athletes. Like ultimately it comes down to how organized are you as a staff and how much are you communicating every plan and how, how much work and effort are you putting into establishing a plan of care that's specific for the patient in front of you. So honestly, man, like most physical therapists and sports performance teams, technology they'll tell you is like the 10th thing on their list that they're looking for. Like okay. it's not that, and I don't want to say it's not important, but I do want to like, it's not like at the, the forefront of everybody's brain. Okay. No, fair, fair enough. We appreciate your time today, but I got one burning question before we get you out of here, Edwin. Yeah, what music right. are you listening to when you're on the job? I need to know. The athletic training room is sort of a, a mix of everything. Uh, the DJ changes by the hour, and so it totally depends. Yeah, one, uh, you know, you can have '90s rap on one minute, the next minute you're listening to country, the next minute you're listening to reggae. At some point, somebody put on the Moana soundtrack. I'm not entirely sure what was going on there. <laughs> so it honestly totally depends. Like the training room, the training room can get can get nuts, and sometimes the music's the last thing you're thinking about. But there's always something playing. 
And on that note, it's been a pleasure to have you on. We know where to find you on Twitter. Where can our listeners find you elsewhere on the great world of social media? Yeah, social media, at FBInjuryDoc. Find me on Twitter there. That's honestly the hub for all my stuff. If you like listening to injury, data-driven injury analysis on a podcast, go to the Injury Prone Podcast. And then the last thing is if you find me on Twitter, go to the little link where my newsletter is. Subscribe to my newsletter. It's totally free. If you ever are wondering in the middle of a season, where is my running back? Is he injured? Is he not? Is he going to play? Is he going to look good? Is he not? I'm going to send all that out for free this year. Go to the the newsletter on my Twitter at FBInjuryDoc. Subscribe there. That's all I got to plug. Appreciate you guys. No worries. Shout out to Fantasy Points, by the way. And shout out to Dr. Edwin Boras. Awesome having you on, buddy. That was amazing. Thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcast's experience, where no sport is left behind.